Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest started his technology career as a cryptologist for the Naval Security Group at the National Security Agency, supporting combat missions during operations Desert Shield and Desert Storm. He started his business career providing technical security and network consulting to AT&T, Sprint, and Credit Suisse First Boston. At 27 years old, he sold his first company for $100 million. He's presently the president and CEO of ECS Global Solutions and Animated Insights. And his latest venture is Pebble, which is an artificial intelligence software for building maintenance and energy tracking for efficiency improvements. Please welcome to Leading from the Front, Luther Garcia. Hi, Luther. Hey, Dr. Gary. How you doing? I'm terrific, man. Let's, so we got, we got to go back into the history a little bit, having a little bit of a military background myself and my family having served 108 years in the military. Uh, you know, that's, that's a little bit of background. You were in the, in the Navy. How did you get into cryptology? What, what got you into that? So, you know, I, I'm actually from Albuquerque, New Mexico originally. And for some reason in 1984, 85, I was in high school and I went to probably the only high school in the city that offered Russian as a language. So I started studying Russian because everybody was studying Spanish and French and German. And I thought that would be really cool. And then in my senior year in high school, we actually had Navy recruiters that came into our Russian class looking for linguists. And they made it sound really cool. They made it sound like, you know, we'd be like James Bond or something. So, you know, at the time, I, I, I didn't really want to go to school anymore. And I, I needed to buy a guitar. I, I didn't want to, like, go work at McDonald's or something. So I said, you know what, let me try this Navy thing. That sounds sounds pretty cool. So I ended up uh, joining the Navy and and going through a bunch of training, and that's how I ended up at, at NSA. But the thing is, is that I joined in the 80s, and the Cold War was basically over, and they have these categories for languages, and like a, a Category 3 language would be like, you know, Italian or German or something. Category 4 is Russian. Category 5 is like Hebrew, Arabic, Chinese, that kind of stuff. So I qualified for a Category 5 language. So when I got to language school, they said, you're not going to be learning Russian, you're going to be learning Arabic. And I was like, uh. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. And they're like, wow. and if you fail out of this, then you're going to join. You're going to go into the regular Navy and you'll be a decade on a ship. So I was like, that was all the motivation I needed to study hard. because I didn't actually want to be in the real Navy. <laughs> but yeah. that's kind of how I ended up in that. Yeah. So you went to the uh, the language school of Monterey, California, right? Isn't Defe- that- DLI, Defense Language Institute. Yeah. That's yeah, right. which is a pretty famous institute. So I'm assuming you, uh, you you passed. You got through the Arabic. Yeah, I did. It was you know that's all you did for a year was that. I mean, it was it was fantastic. Actually, I was there in 1989. There was actually a big earthquake in uh, Santa Cruz, and you know one part of the Bay Bridge fell on the other. I was actually I remember being in there, being in this really flimsy army building, going, "Oh my God, what's what's going to yeah. happen?" But yeah, no, it was a great school. I got I got so much out of the Navy, and it all started there. 
all those opportunities. And, you know, I got married really young, my first marriage and divorced really young too, consequently. But, you know, so, so because I was married, you know, all these different duty stations, you know, there's different ones, Spain and, you know, for, depending on your language, I ended up at the national security agency at NSA. And I, I finished, there's a bunch of schools you go through and I finished all of my school in July of 1990, maybe it was June. And, and that's when I got to Fort Meade, Maryland and then August, uh, what was it? August 2nd, I think, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. And so uh, mm-hmm. I think August 6th, I was on a, a plane to Signal and then later uh, Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. So. Wow. So, you know, going back to Monterey for a second, you know, we kind of joke about it, but the motivation to do well in Arabic which is a daunting task for some people. I mean, I'm, I'm a linguistic cripple, uh, or so my French teacher told me in college. Uh, said, I, he said, I never saw anybody work so hard and get so little out of, out of French. Oh, oh no. So I, I had the persistence, but I didn't have the, the, the talent. But your, your motivation was either pass or be a deckhand. So yeah. we, we see that in leadership, don't we? That whether it's individually or on teams where our motivation is created by sometimes things that are negative not necessarily a, a positive. So that motivated you. Yeah, that's true. I, especially when you have, you know what it is? When you have your expectations changed, you know what I mean? So in this case, you know, I already had a lot of lot of Russian. I thought, oh, this is going to be great. I'll be the best Russian linguist the Navy's ever seen. I already speak Russian. It's going to be great. And then then they show up and, and you get all these books and, you know, you're going, what is that? And it goes from right to left and there's no vowels. And you're like, oh, my God, I got to learn this. But, you know, you, you, you throw yourself in there and, and you know, you, you you have no choice, right? You're, what are you going to do? You're either going to succeed at that or you're going to deal with the consequences of failure. And if the consequences of failure are motivating enough, then, you know, someone who's smart will probably put in the work and put in the effort. But I mean, however you get motivated, once you go through the process, I think you can find it to be rewarding. In fact, I got so much out of that entire experience. When I first got to my first deployment, you know, we we weren't supposed to shave because we were in the intelligence community. And, you know, we flew, we went into Bahrain and that, that was, I think it was a sixth fleet Second Fleet, I can't remember. That that was the headquarters for the whole thing. And the USS LaSalle was kind of the – that was the ship and, you know, where they were coordinating all the intelligence for for everything, for the whole theater. And so me and an older petty officer, this guy Barry, we used to call him Bear. The guy was huge. We went together and, you know, we ended up on our first duty station. And first they were oh, – the entire ship was trying to find me so they could shave me. <laughs> but, but we got word of that. So we ended up going into Bahrain and we got – I was. I remember sitting there, and there's, there's a guy who had a straight razor, you know, and we're there going in, in in this 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 war theater. I'm like, wow, was this really smart? But I got my shave. But the the interesting thing, my point is this: when we got to the ship, we got checked in. I I really wanted to do a good job. We we got to our the skiff, you know, it's it's kind of this compartmentalized part of the of the of the bridge where you you, you go in, and that's where a lot of classified things, always encrypted communications, and, and really we we're listening to communications, so you could you could really get find out and identify what kind of aircraft was with whose air force and all that kind of stuff. So I was trying to get everything set up. And I was, you know, there was a Marine in there and he was a, a Persian linguist, right? Farsi. So and then there were some other guys that are in there, different, different sort of things in terms of their, their, their jobs. And I got in there and they're, they're sitting there playing cards. And I, you know, I was just like, hi, you know, I introduced myself and immediately I go run and I start just trying to make sure testing all my equipment, make sure everything work. And, and this, uh, this gunnery sergeant, you know, he'd been around for a while. He goes, Garcia, 
it's my last name, right? And I go, uh, yes, gunnery sergeant. And he goes, let me ask you a question. What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Come play some Matisse. And Matisse is this card game where basically they hand you their trash, you know, the worst card. So you want to give all your trash to the person next to you. And I said, uh, well, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to get everything ready so that I'm ready. And he goes, let me ask you a question. He goes, is what you're doing right now, if you don't do it, is it going to kill you? And I thought about it for a second. I said, well, no, it's not going to kill me. So listen, out here at some point, bullets may start flying. There might be an incoming missile. Let me tell you something. You worry about something if it's going to kill you. That's what you worry about. Now sit down and have a tube. And I sat down and I was like, so I sat down and I played this game with Matisse. I lost. He was really good at it. But that, that lesson actually stuck with me. You know, the ability, not that you shouldn't plan for the future and that kind of thing, but the ability to compartmentalize and not waste energy on things that, you know, the consequences of which are not worthy of the loss of focus or the negative energy that you're putting towards that task. So that that was one great lesson that really I carry with me to this day. So, I, you know, whenever the, it really helps you be calm in a crisis and keep your head was that experience when, you know, things are going bad. You You worry about what you have to worry about when you have to worry about. Obviously, you make a good plan, so you try not to put yourself in horrible situations. But, you know, sometimes life happens. And as they say, no no battle plan ever survives contact with the enemy. So how, how you deal with those things in life when you mix your ideas, your plans, your, your you know, whether it's doing a project or a job or, or rolling out a new piece of software, there's always going to be something that's going to go wrong. So how do you how do you focus on the things that are important and not get bogged down and weighed down by things that really are of no consequences is something that I pulled from that. Yeah. So let's let's go back to one of your, your statements earlier and, and kind of wrap around this, because first of all, there's there's nothing like the philosophy of a, of a gunny. <laughs> you know, they're, they're going to they're going to keep you grounded in the most important things. There's no question about it. And a gunnery sergeant. And in short, we call them a gunny. So for those people that aren't Marines, I'm not a Marine, by the way, but I, I do have some of the lingo since I had uh, sure, in my family 104 years of, of naval service by my brothers, my father and my son. But you, you said earlier, expectations changed. And when expectations change, we need to be able to adjust, prioritize and recognize what's most important. And that's what you've just been talking about is this common message and the gunny just really put it into hyper focus for you. Is it going to kill you? Yeah. Uh, no. Well then sit down and just relax a little bit. Yeah. You know? yeah, exactly. right? yeah, absolutely. How did that feed you as you went through at a young age and you, you got involved with the company and sold it. And, and now as an entrepreneur, really understanding how as a leader, you focus those things that you learned in the military and you learn from the gunny and you learn from other people in the military that now serve you. How does it serve you as an entrepreneur today? Yeah, it, it serves in a lot of, a lot of ways. You know, number one, you have an objective and it's important to define what your mission statement is. What is your objective? A lot of people make a plan without understanding what the end goal is. And, and then you, you, you make a plan or a battle plan as it were, back then to achieve that goal. What are the things that are important? If you're going to go, just metaphorically speaking, but if you're doing any time where you're in the army or you're in the Marines and you're going on a long, you know, on a patrol or something, you could be going 20, 30 miles, you got to bring your pack. And it's like, what are you putting in that pack? Well, the first time you go, if someone doesn't tell you, you might have all kinds of crap that you don't even need. So metaphorically, it's that whole sort of efficiency thing. Identify the critical 
um, sort of, uh, you know, benchmarks that you need to achieve one at a, you know, if it's a sequential kind of thing to ultimately get your end goal and don't be distracted by anything that's unimportant towards achieving that goal. And then, you know, if you, you can do that, then you need to communicate and make sure that everybody is on the same page and everybody understands that. So, you know, very often what, what I do when I will talk to people is I will explain to them what exactly like things that probably they would not think of in their job or their position. I will tell them, you know, it's usually the person who's setting the goals and strategy. I tell them why I explain to them why we're, what we're trying to achieve. So, you know, I'll explain to them like, look, it's very important that you reach out to this customer and that we demonstrate that, you know, we can really deliver on this because if we show them that we can deliver these pieces of software, then it's going to allow us to get investment from these guys and, and allow us to be, you know, introduced to their entire portfolio. And these are the conversations with the various stakeholders and, you know, they are reviewing this as our opportunity to prove it. You know, so give them all this information so they understand the, what they're doing, why they're doing it, and that it's important because the worst thing is, you know, people sometimes you're going to do a, something new. And if you don't understand how to do something, if it's new, you have to learn or figure it out. You have to problem solve. There's nothing worse than being frustrated and maybe not putting in the extra effort because you think you're like, why am I doing this? What is the point of this? So understanding that, no, this is important, changing the narrative to, I understand why I have to figure this out. You know, let me look at this from, and, and don't forget, to, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help too, by the way. But I, I find that, you know, making sure that everybody understands what the objectives are defining a clear path for how to get there, make sure everybody understands their role in it, and make sure that you share the big picture with everybody so they understand why what you're asking them to do is important. I think you just described the process of leadership. I mean, when you when you think about it, and I, I talk about this all the time, where, where the leader's primary job is to connect the dots. And what you just said is connecting the dots of what that person is doing daily what their role is and what they're trying to accomplish with what the overall mission and objective is, because people don't think of that. They're just heads down doing it, doing the work. And I think in your, your position, when I, when you look back at the uh, many leadership and CEO positions in an organization, didn't you find yourself often reminding the team, this is why it's, 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 you know, your, your sentence starts with a uh, kind of an introduction and then it says, because dot, dot, dot. Right. You know, why yeah. are you doing this? You're doing this because dot, dot, dot. It's connected to the mission. It's connected to the brand. It's connected to the customers, connected to the objective. It's connected to the goal. And people go, oh, it's like you, you're you opening their mind up to something that they – you probably sit there as a CEO. How can you not remember this? Well, so what, what we try and do is because we – especially when you're building a technology company, you're building something where if the key people, you'll take care of them. They can – you know, be rewarded and that kind of thing. What we try and do is, is have a vision. So share the vision, sort of deliver the vision in a way that's inspirational and aspirational. So, you know, one of the biggest things that, that I do is certainly there's vision and all that, but really there's uh, inspiration and, and aspirational set goals that are aspirational. Do things that, you know, don't, you got to walk a line between asking to do something that's unrealistic and asking them to do something that's realistic, but that they may have to get out of their comfort zone 
and work a little harder. Maybe they have to, maybe you have to change the, the goalposts of what their expectations are sometimes and increase them because you believe in them or you believe in certain other support things that you have. So, so how do you, how do you find the balance? I think this is a really key thing right there that you talk about the balance between stretching them beyond what they think they can do and asking them to do something that's nearly impossible because there's all these great stories about leaders that go out there and say, you know, they, they expected the impossible and they got it. Well, that's a bunch of BS. Because it, <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it really is. I mean, the average person, the average day, the average work in a business doesn't expect these ridiculously crazy objectives to be achieved day in and day out. But people hear these stories and they go, oh, I want to be like that. No, you don't. That's not that's not realistic. And yeah. and it's not like it's not like like your gunny said, it's not life or death. Most of the things that we're doing are not life or death. But at the same time as leaders, we want to be able to make sure that people don't undershoot. Yeah, right? that's right. That they're just coasting. How do you find the balance between really kind of challenging people and expecting too much? So, you know, what, what I, a couple of things there, right? Number, number one is a collaboration, right? So in other words, I don't just come down from the mountaintop and say, you know, blah, blah, blah. I know everything. It's my way or the highway. This is what we're going to do. What, what I'll do is maybe come up with a sketch of a goal and, hey, why can't we do this? And then surround myself with people that are smarter than me and then set them up to succeed. So, you know, we have a chief technology officer. We have a chief financial officer. We have a chief strategy officer. You know what I mean? All these types of people, uh, business development, sales people, that kind of thing. So what we do is we we make a plan together. I'll make a plan with the CTO. And I happen to have a technology background. So, you know, I get a little bit of credibility with him. But I know that he's far better than I am because that's the path that, that, that he does. So what we do is we'll build something. And I will ask him, what about this? What about that? How can we do this? So instead of just giving him an impossible goal... I think of something that's ambitious or that I'd like to see done that would be important or that is an opportunity that would give us a position of leadership in the market, for example. And I ask him, how can we achieve this? And then I ask him what he needs. And, and it could be she, he or she. I don't want to you know, get yeah. into all that. But it's, of course, I'm talking about someone specific who happens to be a, a guy. But I ask him, how can we achieve this? What do you need? And then what if we wanted, what would you need if I wanted it to, wanted it faster? So what we do is we try and, and, and we get buy-in, we collaborate and we, maybe we, we find a goal and we collaborate together to see if that's something we can achieve. We map out what, what it would take in terms of support, resources, money, whatever, to achieve that. And then we, we set them up to succeed and, and that's it. And then we push them out there. And then, you know, and, and then like, uh, again, no battle plan su- survives contact with the enemy or every man has a plan until he gets punched in the face. That's Mike Tyson. Mistakes are going to happen when you go out there. So our philosophy is just make, make new mistakes. If whatever mistake you make, learn from it. Just don't make the same mistake. So it's okay mm-hmm. to make mistakes, but m- let's make new mistakes. Let's, let's not make the same freaking mistake. Cause that means that we didn't take the time then to learn from that. Yeah. You know, it, it's, and you know, so, so that's how we do it. And we, we do that together. And then sometimes different organizations, there's always a conflict 
you know, between sales and technology, the sales guy's like, well, I sold them that the customer, I told them that you're going to be able to do this. You're like, really? Did you ask me? And, and so, so you have to get that to where you get business driving technology because you don't want the tail wagging the dog, but it has to be done in a way that's realistic. Like you said, you can't just say, well, I sold this, so you got to have to deliver it. No one, no one collaborated or asked him before you did that. You, So we, we build things by through aspiration by saying, hey, wouldn't it be cool to build this? How could we build this? How could we do it faster? What do you need to do it? So that's that's how we do it. What I'm hearing is is the, the, the base challenge is an ambitious goal with a vision of an unrealistic goal and then a collaboration so that it goes back to two heads are better than one. And rather than one person making this unrealistic goal and being a superstar because he achieved it once in a lifetime, yeah. you know, so now – Got lucky. Exactly. Right. We work together to really say, you know, here's what here's what the ambitious goal is. And, and what I'm hearing is the number one skill of a leader is you ask questions. What Absolutely. do you think? How can we do it? So let me let me ask this. In your experience, have you ever offered an ambitious goal where they've come and said to you, oh, Luther, that's easy. We can do better than that. <laughs> No. So your goals, <laughs> your goals have always been pretty high, huh? Yeah, they've, they've been pretty, you know, because pretty it's... Pretty ambitious. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't get... So the other thing that's very important... You ever get the one on the other side? Of it, oh, yeah, all the time I get the other crazy. side. Yes. Yeah, you're crazy. I, that's the side I get more than the other side. But I listen... How do you handle that? How do you handle that when they tell you crazy? I, I, why I say, oh, yeah, let's whiteboard. We jump on a whiteboard and we, we say, I say, I think we can do it like this. How about like this? Well, no, what about this and that? And then I say, oh, okay, you're right. Okay, we can't do this. Well, what could we do? And then we 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 ask. Maybe we we explore for you know the desire might be there, but it might not be possible. You know, I you know we're not gonna we're not gonna go and and, and bring a knife to a gunfight. You know, we're gonna we're gonna be realistic. And but you know maybe it's an opportunity to explore other ideas, or maybe it was just a horrible idea, and we can identify that right away in that room before we waste time, resources, manpower, and money, and all that kind of stuff on it. What I what I love is the question that you said that that it's a really important question. You put the idea out there, and everybody looks at you like you're crazy, Luther, and you're used to it, so it doesn't bother you. But then you say, okay, you know, you whiteboard it, and the the question is this, and I love it: What can we do? Exactly. People can always tell you what you can't do. People right. tell you why things are going to fail. Right. And and the best question in the world, I think, a lot of times is, what can we do? Stop telling me what we can't do and start telling me what we can do. And that'll that'll get people thinking, won't it? Yeah. What can we do? Can we sell it? Uh, how is it going to fit here? Okay. You know, the, 100%. You know, 100%. That's, that's really, really important. You know, it, it's interesting because uh, I found that I try and hire people that I don't have to micromanage. If I have to micromanage, occasionally I'll micromanage you because I know that I'm going to have to do this to, to, to force certain behavior. But that's just, it's rare. Usually I do not hire people I have to micromanage, you know, and I also believe in the chain of command, right? I'm, I don't want your people coming to me and asking for raises and things like that. I'm going to send them right back to you. But I like to hire people that, you know, I think are tremendous and are superstars and I treat them that way. You know, in, in, not in an unhealthy way, but with respect and like, this is your area. And well, what, what have you thought about this? Or, you know, I would do this or, you know, I, I let people make their own mistakes as long as, especially even if I can see that it's going to be a mistake. And sometimes I'm wrong, 
but I'll let them make their own mistakes as long as it's not going to jeopardize anything really mm-hmm. critical. Like, you know, I'm not going to let them do something where the business falls off a cliff or yeah. where they, but I'll let them make a mistake. You know, oh, I don't like, listen, I think you should fire that person right now. I'm telling you, here's why. Boom, boom, boom. No, no, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Or, you know, I don't know if you should hire this person. He didn't seem to know anything about this, that, and the other. No, you know, I think, okay. And, you know, things like this, and we'll let him do it. And then they'll come back more often than not, and not always. Sometimes, like, there was one person we hired, and and he said, no, we need this creative element. I thought, oh, it just didn't seem technical enough. We give these guys tests and everything. And he was right. And I said, you know what? You were right. I'm really glad we hired him. But then, like, 10 other times, there were other things that would happen. And they'd say, oh, you were right. And I'd say, yeah, this is why, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'll bet next time, you know, next time you, you you come across that situation, you'll handle it right away. We nip it in the bud. This guy, whatever the issue is, and, you know, let people make their own mistakes, give them enough rope, trust them that, that they'll learn from it. Again, nothing tragic that would jeopardize the business. But sometimes you have to let people make their mistake. And, and, and I don't berate or yell at people or, or abuse them or anything like that. I'll say, oh, man, geez, I'll bet if you had that to do it again, you might boom, boom, boom. And whatever the answer was that they failed to do, I basically just gave them the answer of what they should do in a way where they can think about it without feeling bad or, you know, feeling awkward or feeling like, you know, resentful that I embarrassed them. I, 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 and I don't do that in front of other people as well. So, right. you know, we try and get really good people, set them up to succeed and, you know, just help them. Well, when they make mistakes, they're one of my favorite questions. So what did you learn from this? Yeah, exactly. And and I like what you said, because in in a lot of the things that in the work that we do is if nobody got hurt, okay, then and the company didn't get hurt, then the question is, what are you going to do next time? Yeah. And it really is. Life is all about next time. You said earlier, you can make as many mistakes as you want, as long as you don't make them twice. Well, that's right. So, so the whole thing is, it's, it's very, for something, it's very part of all the cultures that we have, corporate cultures and all the companies that, 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 you know, I've really been a part of it. And that is make new mistakes. So when there's a big mistake, instead of pointing the finger, instead of blaming it, someone, what we do immediately is study what happened. We all say how, okay, how did this happen? How can we repeat it from happening again? Do we need to put in a new process, a new SOP, whatever new need to write something up? So this doesn't happen again is, you know, what can we do to make sure it doesn't happen? What did we learn from this? And then we move on rather than, cause that's productive. It's not, you know, I've seen a lot of people managing people or, and they were horrible just because they get mad and they you know want to just blame people or they're playing some kind of political game or and none, none of it is, is productive. None of it's going to help everybody be better. None of it's going to make the team be better. None of it's going to make the company, the product or the service be better. So it, it, again, it's just a distraction. If it's, it's negative like that, you know, there's no, there's no point in doing that exercise. And what, what going back to your gunny, I mean, we were both in the military and we learned the, the importance of the true mission and the first mission is is to complete the mission, but also to survive. Yeah, have, absolutely. Right, That's and have each other's back, as as uh, George Patton said in the, in the famous quote from George Patton: "Is let the other poor bastard die for his country." Yeah, exactly. Yes, right. I so I, I like that quote. I, I I want the people that were in my company when I was in command. Uh, I don't want them to get hurt. I don't want them to get killed. I want to do everything we can to protect each other. And as my brother taught me, IGYB, I've got your yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've got your back in all cases with businesses, and you've you've carried that through. I can tell by the way you talk about this that you carry that through. That says we're not going to blame; we're going to learn. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the work that you do is people don't understand. 
that might not have experience in technology, and especially with artificial intelligence and the things that you're doing today, we're learning every day. Oh, yeah. There's so much that we don't know. And when you're trying to do something new in an organization like what you're doing with your new software, you're learning every day. Oh, yeah. I tell you, Doc, we have we're really lucky in that we have a lot of pieces together to succeed here. But we are in straddle several very hot markets that are not developed at all, but that are very interesting. And and we feel like we may have, you know, really whatever, not just saying this, we really do believe we have the most advanced platform, certainly one of them on the planet. So we're in a position where we have to prove it, right? We have to we have to convince these big building operators and everybody, these manufacturers, this whole industries, you know, involved in providing, you know, services to all these offices and facilities and everything else. We have to convince them like, hey, let us build, let us, let us make your building, let us transform it into an artificially intelligent thing. Let us make your building smart. Let us increase the value of your asset because when you sell this, you're going to have something that's efficient, that's, that's going to run as efficient as possible, that's going to have as interactive and as, as, as wonderful an interaction and experience with the tenants and everybody that interacts with that building. It's going to be have everything integrated from fire, security, energy, electricity, all that. We want to make an artificially intelligent building. And, 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 you know, it's an ambitious goal. And, you know, we're probably 10 years away from that, but there are steps along the way. And, you know, working in different pieces and different data layers, we're actually very far down the road with just simple things like dealing with consumption of resources, energy, carbon emissions, how the building is operated, run and managed, that kind of thing. Today, we're, we're building it and making it a lot smarter and, and, and all that. So, I mean, I guess the point of it is we have to, a lot of it's new. So we, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to be solving problems that have not been solved yet. And then we have to sell something that, you know, very few people have succeeded at actually doing and building. So that, that that's kind of the opportunity that, that we have at Animate Insights. And I love it. That is exactly – there's no place I'd rather be because I know that we have the horses to do it. And one of the biggest things in the world is ah, your team is great. You know, the opportunity, it's like the planets have to align, you know, opportunity with, you know, your ability to capitalize and deliver on that opportunity with market trends in the world, global technology and commercial opportunities where you can just put it all together. And of course, the the aptitude and ability, technical ability to actually create something that's brand new and complicated like this. So we have all those, those place, places, uh, all those pieces in place. So for me, I would be a failure. It would be an absolute failure if we didn't pick them up and succeed greatly doing that. We have everything. It's a huge, it's ambitious, but we have all the opportunity and ability in the world to capture that that opportunity. So uh, from that standpoint, you know, this is what all these things have led up to to this opportunity for me. As you know, we we talked earlier and I got to see your software and all the uh, the visual part of it, all the cool stuff. And uh, being an engineer, I kind of conceptually understand it, how the complexity of with AI is uh, beyond my knowledge. But I think it's going to be less than 10 years. I mean, I, it's it's 10 Internet years, which is probably about, what, about 18 months? Oh, yeah. I'm going to predict by 2022, you're going to be kicking ass. Oh, yeah. 
No, don't misunderstand me. I, I meant a fully artificially intelligent building. No, we're we're kicking ass this year. <laughs> you are. You are. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I got yeah. to see it, so yeah, yeah. I don't want people to think that what you're doing is is in beta. It's not. It's it's no, running. It's we're rolling it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, just it's pretty cool. Yeah. So cool. let me ask you the final question, Luther, and it's sure. the question I ask all our guests, and that is, if you could write yourself a letter and send it back to Luther, maybe you're just getting out of out of the Marines or out of the Navy or whatever part of your life in your twenties. And you were going to write yourself a letter and say, Hey, Luther, pay attention to this as a leader. What would you have written to yourself? That 27 year old that sold the company, what would you have written to yourself? Don't be so reckless, you know, take mm. your time. Cause that first company and first of all, inflation, no one ever tells you about inflation, but I was born in 1970 and pretty much when I was growing up, people were like, oh, a million dollars. Wow, so it's a lot of money, right? So, so you know, whatever. I, I made a bunch of money when, when we sold that company. Now, I was one of four founders, and we had venture capital. So, look, not to discuss it, but maybe I made $5 million, which was great. My first company, you know, I was 27 years old. But I left some money on the table because I got in a fight, not a fist fist fight, but with one of the other founders. Conflict, yeah. And, you know, just because it had come so easy and I was a bit – I was arrogant, I think, about it. I would tell myself, you know, calm down. Don't go to lunch with Ari. (laughs) Everything will be okay. That would be the big thing. But I will say that that having gone through that where I I, I made all that and then the dot-com crash happened, you know, and I lost everything. And I sat there at the age of, you know, 31 saying, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And realizing, like, how am I going to get a job? I can't get a job. I have to create my own opportunity. Like, you know what I mean? How, how do I get – I have to create my own opportunity. So I was able to do that again, and then there were other companies that were successful and all that. So making that money, losing it – and it, making that money is hard making it, losing it, and making it again is much harder, I will say. Mm-hmm. I was able to do that. But I would just say, you know, that that experience, and we were talking about how different you are when you're 20 versus you're 50. I, yeah, very different. <laughs> but you yeah. go through experiences like that. But that, that's one thing. Just don't be so reckless. Yeah, you follow your <laughs> advice in life, which is, you know, you make mistakes, and what would you do next time? And I'm, I'm guessing the next time you made some different decisions. <laughs> I, I, 100% I did. Yeah. 100%. Well, good for you. Yeah. You listen to your own advice even back then. That's great. Got to eat your own dog food. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of dogs, I wonder where mine is. Well, anyway, I think we're done here. I really appreciate your thoughts, your insights, Luther. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Doc. This is Dr. Gary making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks again for joining us on Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care and be well. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>